0: Greetings race community, Brent coming in live from Rhode Island on St. Patrick's Day, joined by my guest, Kimura Way, who is the president of the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire Foundation and executive director of University Advancement at the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. Do you really fit that all on a business card?
1: It's pretty tough, I have to tell you. I just say I work for the university.
0: Well, I am also thrilled To welcome a special unexpected co-host that is EverTrue's Jen Zacher. Jen and I were on a call one minute before I was about to kick off this podcast and I said I'm about to go interview Kim Wei from University of Wisconsin Eau Claire and Jen said that's where my parents met and I said are you kidding me we've got to get you on as a co-host so welcome Jen.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's true. They met at a Halloween party. My dad was a student there. My mom was student teaching in Eau Claire. Um, And yeah, rest is
1: history. I love it. 1980 Blue Gold. I just looked him up. Oh, did you? (laughs) Yeah. Amazing.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, Kim, we met recently uh, at the AGB conference and it was a really fun time. Actually, one of the first conferences post uh, the pandemic beginning where, where we were all able to convene, which was great. Uh, And we had a very, um, I thought, inspiring conversation just about the work that is being done at UW-Eau Claire and really the way what, what stood out to me was just how intertwined and interconnected communities are in college towns. And when a college is growing, communities are growing. It is hard if the college isn't growing and healthy for a small community to grow in spite of that. Uh, and I was just really struck by that intersection and um, thought it would be fun to, to host you and hear more about that. But before we dive into all of that, I have to ask you more about your own college journey. So take me back to, let's call it, your junior, senior year of high school. Who was that, Kim? And what led her to be a Cotty girl, which is a new <laughs> expression.
1: Indeed. So I grew up on a, in a very small town in Wyoming. On a ranch, and um, the University of Wyoming is the only university in the state of Wyoming. Great place. But my older brothers were there, and the last thing I wanted to do was go down where I knew everybody. And so I had the opportunity through um, adult connections to learn about Cotty College, which is a small private women's liberal arts college in Nevada, Missouri. Uh, it's owned by a women's organization. And this Um, mentor said, you know, you should go to Cotty. I said, okay. And um, 700 miles away, my parents drove me there, dropped me off, said, we'll see you at Christmas and uh, had never been far from home until then. Thought I was going to die, but it was the best experience of my life. I made some of my dearest friends there. I loved it so much that after I did graduate from the University of Wyoming, I went back to Cotty to work. So it was my also my first college experience, but my first work experience as well, post-college.
0: And you did a two-year program or? Mm-hmm. yeah, it so was a two-year. Uh, and then made your uh, way back to Wyoming.
1: Okay. Yep. Went, graduated from the University of Wyoming. Go Pokes. Yes.
0: Go Pokes. 7,000 feet above sea level. Tough Correct. place to go for a jog, but a beautiful place to go to college. Um, Tell me more about the Wyoming experience. We absolutely love working with the team there. uh, And I know uh, maybe you got connected to some of them actually at the AGB conference.
1: Um, So I, you know, when you transfer to a university, sometimes it's a little bit hard to get connected because a lot of, you know, everybody goes and kind of builds those networks when they're freshmen. I had the opportunity to join the Branding Iron student newspaper. I was a journalism graduate and so I, I joined the newspaper staff. Worked at the Branding Iron. And is, um, can I just ask?
0: Has it been determined that is the best name for a newspaper in all of College? Or is there <laughs> yeah, a- it's
1: great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's incredible. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, cowboys. You know, all uh, all of that stuff. Um, and you know, that really was a, a wonderful experience because I had the opportunity to hone my writing craft and photography and, um, you know, really loved being, a, and do to this day, love being a university of Wyoming graduate. I can sing and often do sing the Cowboy Joe song.
2: Here we um, go.
1: This is yeah. your moment real quick. Yeah. <laughs> he always sings ragged music to the cattle as he swings. Back forward in a saddle on a horse, pretty good horse. Got a syncopated meter and there the is repeater as they run. Yes, run when they hear him coming. When the Western folks all know he's a high rootin' tootin' cowboy, son of a gun from old Wyoming. Cowboy Joe. I list lost the last part of it. I, I performance anxiety. Yep.
0: Then, so, let's go.
1: Yeah.
2: Terrible. I was um, I was out in Wyoming in January, and I really wish I knew this song prior to. I'm kind of kicking myself for that yeah. one.
1: You know, when you're the only university in a state that the entire population could fit in many large cities, medium-sized cities, you know, you take great pride in ownership. You know, they say, you know, most six degrees of separation thought. It's really about three degrees of separation in Wyoming. I have been known to yell at people who are wearing Wyoming t-shirts or license plates. Where did you get that? And do you know, where are you from? And do you know so-and-so? And by, you know, by the second name, we have a mutual connection. So it's, uh, I'm very, very proud of my Wyoming heritage.
0: I love that. Yeah, I grew up in Iowa. And so generally when I meet somebody in the East Coast and they hear that I'm from Iowa, they, they immediately say, oh, do you, know my, do you know my friend Jen from Iowa? And it's like, no, there are, there are three million people there. Like, I don't know everyone from Iowa, but it sounds like in Wyoming, it's, it's a reasonable question to ask people.
1: It is a reasonable question because more likely than not, you will you will have a connection very quickly. So it's a great state. It's a great place to be from. I loved it when I was out there. It's yeah. beautiful too.
0: It sounds yeah. like um, strong uh, academic experiences. I know that along the way you pursued a master at the University of Kansas, but I don't know the exact progression there. So what was... Um, what informed your career path coming out of Wyoming?
1: Well, um, I had, I had the opportunity. I was a journalism graduate. I actually had a job at a small newspaper in Torrington, Wyoming, which is about 50 miles from where I grew up. And, um, but at the same time, Cotty had recruited me to go back and be the public relations person. And so it was kind of this, you know, to the path into the woods and they diverged, which one do you take? And I, I really thought the Cadi, because I loved that Cadi experience too. And so I had the opportunity to work there and I'm, I'm amazed because, you know, right out of bachelor's degree, you know, you're running a, a PR program and you're doing, I mean, I did it all. I did the news media. I did the publications. I did all the photography and I mean, it was just a one person operation. And, and because of that, um, you know, my whole career has been in higher ed and, Um, had the opportunity to work first in university relations and then um, when I was I wanted to get closer to home so went from Missouri to Kansas uh, not a huge leap to get closer to home but um, and then was at Emporia State University for a number of years first in their PR department but then one day the president called me in and said you know we're letting go we're firing the head of the foundation I thought he was telling me that to do media stuff and we need somebody to go over and be the interim. So I want you to go over and do that. And I laughed. I said, yeah, right. He goes, no, you're going over there. And I got over there and I thought, you know, this is a job I think I could do and had no fundraising experience whatsoever. Um, but they did a search and they hired me and being naive, I think is sometimes the best thing, you know, ignorance and naivete, I think serve you well um, because I, when I came onto the job, they had committed to doing their first campaign or big campaign. They were in the middle of building a, and raising money for an alumni center. They'd committed to switching software programs and they'd committed to um, building a softball baseball complex. All of those things were really early on and I didn't know any better that I couldn't do that stuff. And we just, you know, went about it and had great, had a great president that believed in me and a board. And, and, you know, I I learned a lot. I used to say my, you know, they talked about management by walking around a long time ago as a management skill. Mine uh, was management by mistake. Uh, I had a lot of people who were very patient with me and I really cut my teeth there. And so I, you know,
0: tell us about some of the mistakes. If you're comfortable sharing what stands out, any humbling moments you can share.
1: Absolutely. uh, You know, I didn't know anything about managing people. And I'm sure um, some people would say I was not the best, probably not the best boss, because you know, I was, you know, you need to do it this way and only that way. I was more of a micromanager at the time and um and you know, was very yeah. impatient.
0: Did you say you need to do it my way?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Although I was not away at the time, it but yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just didn't appreciate, I think, um, talents and skills that everybody on the team had. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of, a, you know, I feel bad in some ways that I didn't do a better job of, of, um, being a good steward leader, you know, steward, uh, I just didn't think I did a really great job. And, you know, um, the first time I had to go and ask somebody for a large gift, I had to practiced it so many times that I think people were really tired of me. And then um, the president and I went down to meet with this donor and we got caught in traffic and um, didn't have as, you know, it wasn't as easily accessible to just pick up the cell phone and call somebody and say, we're running late. So we were literally only a few minutes late, but the donor said, and he left. And so all of that energy and effort that went into, um, you know, this big ask (laughs) um, it had to be replayed later and it was not nearly as good and positive as it could have
0: been. Wow. That's a tough one. Um, any experiences of, uh, asking for way too much or way too little?
1: Um, so the president at the time who was one of my mentors, I, I really respected, he's since deceased, but I really respected and admired him. But, um, he and I would work with him and we would we would talk about, okay, this is the way the ask is going to be. And this is what, you know, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. And we'd sit down and we'd say, you know, this is what we're working on. And we'd really like you to ask you to consider this gift level. And before you could get the a dollar amount out, the, the president would say, but you can give whatever amount you want to give. So he was already negotiating downward. Um, and, you know, that was a bit of a Kind of a frustration on that. I, I think I learned then that silence is a really, really good skill. The other bad lesson that I learned at the time was um, we were talking to two brothers who had very substantial ass wealth, and talking about we'd taken them to lunch at the country club and looked over, and their spouses were over there having lunch, and I and um, I realized that we really blew that when we should have involved the spouses in the discussion and. I should have known better. Um, we ended up doing okay with them, but I think we could have done a lot better.
0: Well, thank you for the candor. Now let's talk about some of the best memories. What are some of the you know favorite donor stories or unexpected successes maybe that that come to mind?
1: <clears throat> so one of the donors that I had at that time in Kansas, um, I will always remember this. He gave the lead gift for the welcome or the alumni center, and he said, "You know, all of us just want to leave our stain on the earth and you know, that was why he gave and why he wanted their name on that is just as a recognition of his family's success. So fast forward to today at UW Eau Claire. um, I've worked with a couple, we just built an alumni welcome center. And this couple met on campus. I mean, it's this, it's a great love story. Both of these are great love stories, because they met on campus, they got married before um, one of them had graduated and. the husband still needed a little bit more time. So she was working here in Eau Claire and everything. And so, and they've been marvelously wonderful to interact with and and to meet and to engage. And so I first went down to them to talk to them about a gift to the Welcome Center. And they said, yeah, we'll do this amount of gift, which was a generous gift, but wasn't what we needed to really finish because it had to be 100% privately funded. So as, as the project went a little bit further, I went back to them and said, would you really consider doing more? And, you know, they said, yeah, we will do this. And then finally went back to them a third time. And at that point they agreed to give half the, the private funding that was needed to, to the lead gift for the project. And so really wonderful. And it, it you know, it helped us motivate. And we raised the money and it took us some time to get things going and the first bids came in, over budget and they were patient and they kept saying oh we just feel so bad for you because all of this hassle of this and I thought you know here i have this lead gift and you're telling me you feel bad for me right. so at some point we said we'd really like to put your name on the building and they said no we don't really want to do that you know we're we don't need to and again i kept going back to them and going back to them and finally they agreed to to put their family name on the building so when we dedicated the building Um, Tom was telling this story about all these things and he's coined a new term called that they were Kimmed Um, that you know they they were Kimmed about this whole process of coming back and asking and asking so I I recently reached out to them and I'm meeting with them to say I want to come back and I want to get I want to Kim you again so (laughs) um, but so gracious and what that taught me um, and I've always appreciated this is you know, my goal is always to have joyful donors, you know, and the most humbling experience for me is, and, and totally, I am just in awe when they thank me for creating that opportunity for them to fulfill a philanthropic dream. And, and that, that just makes me think, you know, I have the best job in the world. Um, I have another donor story, which is ongoing right now. We're building an event center and came about another donor couple who met here on campus and they donated the land um where we're going to build this they owned riverfront property they had a business there and we'd ask them about doing that initially and they said no because they thought that they, they just said no but then about six months later they came back and said are you still interested and of course we're interested and um So the project has evolved. It's taken seven and a half years for this project to develop. We've been in up and down and sideways with partners and and then COVID. And so we got to a point where this summer, at one point, they wanted to fire all of us and do something different. I mean, it's been a journey. Um, But this summer, um, one of the challenges has been, you know, the fundraising for, because they said, we're going to give you this much, but I still had about a 10 to 12 million dollar fundraising goal and I was trying to generate gifts with naming opportunities but they didn't want anybody they didn't want they weren't sure they wanted a lot of other names in the building to to clutter it and so we met with them and they finally said look we're you know we're going to have to probably fund this whole thing if we want to get it done right and so they agreed to do the entire philanthropic goal of the project which is Right now, forty million dollars. Their total gift with the land and everything is about seventy million. We break ground next month.
0: Incredible! So. Incredible. Let's talk a little bit about. I mean, that's a great segue to some of what we discussed at AGB, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, around seventy thousand people uh, population. Uh, of course, Eau Claire means clear water, uh, right there in the Chippewa Valley, and um, Eau Claire and UW Eau Claire are. Uh, inextricably linked. And it sounds like even more so as projects like this emerge. And so I'd love to just know more about what it's like, you know, in a small college town at a time when a lot of small colleges are challenged, frankly. Um, It sounds like you're um, identifying, um, you know, folks who are not only supporters of UW-Eau Claire, but supporters of Eau Claire. And, you know, just tell me about kind of that experience.
1: You know, when I first came here, very little had changed on campus and in the community, and you know, we couldn't even get alumni to come back because they would say, "Well, nothing's different." And um, and and you know, there was a big tire plant in the community that had gone out of business or left, and and so you know, I always say, I mean, I've always been in higher ed in mid-sized and small communities where sometimes you feel like as an institution that. I think the community recognizes the value of it, but there's also that notion of familiarity breeds contempt, and sometimes there's a a, a struggle of a love hate. Um, but you know, about eight years ago, nine years ago, um, we the university had the opportunity, or the foundation had the opportunity to partner with a local developer on purchasing land in downtown Eau Claire, um, on the river, and we talked about you know what would be the best use of that land and, and part of our strategic master plan. And I, you know, the university was very intentional. We're landlocked. We have a river that runs through campus. We have a park and hillside, and we have a very historic neighborhood that borders our campus. And there's just not any room for expansion. And um, our master plan talked about a uh, need for an art center that if possible could be built in the community as a shared facility and also the need for an event center to replace our very aging um, arena um, that was built in the early fifties. And so we had that campus master plan, which really was guided some decision-making. And so uh, we agreed that we could you know, build this arts center and also a mixed use uh, project because we're very short on student housing. And, and so the foundation partnered with them and um, we bought the land and then we proceeded in building um, a mixed-use student housing project. Now, understand, I always tell every partner that I work with, we are not the master, we're the worst partners we'll ever work with because we don't control our own destiny. Um, The state of Wisconsin has pretty strict rules about um, state institutions doing business with private entities and having pre-arranged contracts and deals and all of that. So our board, foundation board, who I give tons of credit to, took a leap of faith and said, let's build this student housing, even though we don't have any guarantee that the university will lease it and use it for student housing. And so we did, and we were able to get a a several-year lease with the state of Wisconsin for the use of the university. And then on the other side of the land, we were going to build an arts center, a shared community arts center. And we announced that arts center. We didn't have a dime. We had no money in the and the kitty, but we we were going to be very proactive about getting um, state funding, city funding, county funding, and then philanthropy. Um, it was very controversial. It was a fight to the bitter end, and um, things were in the budget, things were out of the budget. The original fundraising goal was I wanted to raise ten million. Um, my partner said, "Can you do thirteen and a half?" I said, "Uh." OK, one of our lead donors said, do you really think we could raise that much money in Eau Claire? We've never done anything like this before. We ended up raising over 30 to 35 million for the project. And then along the way, because there was such opposition to it, we had to have two citizen referendas on the same day. One about the city funding and one about the county, county funding. And they were opposing referendas. So to be successful, you had to vote no on one and yes on the other. And it was structured that way to ensure that we would not be successful. And we were, that boat was on April fool's day, which was also kind of interesting, but it opened, it opened the year before the pandemic uh, in 19, 18, 19, and had a great first year. And then immediately shut down because of COVID Um, it's been successful, but what makes it successful is um, the university is an anchor tenant in the building. Our theater department is housed there. Uh, we do a lot of classes and everything in there. And it's it's fabulous. It's been, and but we also benefited from amazing philanthropy that we'd never expected to happen, and much of it from younger donors in the community who really believe that we have to invest in the community. And we would never have been able to do that that project if the university tried to do it on its own or if the community tried to do it on its own. The power of the collaboration was great. And, one of the things we learned from that, and that I've learned two things, these collaborations, these partnerships are exceedingly hard work, and, and they, you have to be willing to put the time and effort. But the other more important thing is when you do that, you always have to keep what is right for the project at the forefront of everything you do. Nobody got 100% of what they wanted, but we got what we needed, and we always, always kept at the forefront what is right. Let us do what is right for the project. And it was successful. I mean, and so to the to
0: go ahead. 10 million was maybe a challenge 13 feeling like a real stretch. When did you realize that it was going to be a home run? I mean, 30 is not beating a goal. That's absolutely smashing a goal, especially given, you know, some of the opposition that you were sharing. Um, and what is, what is the building or what is the project called?
1: It's the Pablo center at the confluence it, we called the originally the confluence Art Center, because it's at the confluence of the Eau Claire and Chippewa rivers, which run through downtown Eau Claire. And it's, it's called
0: amazing. the. Pa- Everybody should Google it. Check them out on Instagram at Pablo Center. Um, just- when did you know that that it was going to be a home run?
1: Well, when we the referendums when we had the successful referenda votes and we got the city and county money um, and then it was going to be in the state budget and then it was out of the budget. And literally, our legislative delegation in this region, both Republicans and Democrats, we brought them together, and they they literally laid on the railroad tracks to get that to happen. Especially one legislator who's just said, "If you want me to be elected again, and if you want me to hold this seat for the party, you have to put this in the budget." And it it never it's a once funding comes out of a budget, it never really goes back in. But they got the money back in the budget in a in a grant. Um so, when those happened, and then um we have these amazing alumni who started this software company, and then they sold the company and they created a foundation and they made a naming gift the pablo um the that's the name of their foundation, the pablo foundation and they gave five million to put their name put the name on the building and um once those three things happened, it was it was like, yeah, this is, and, you know, we have alumni all over the country who gave very generous gifts who don't live in Eau Claire, who don't have that connection. And, but they just believe so much in this university and the power of the collaboration. I mean, it's a fabulous, you should Google it. It's, I'm looking at a picture of it. It's, it's the most beautiful building and it sits right on the river. And what that has done too, is that has spurred development in eau claire downtown eau claire of at least 100 to 120 million of new development if you drive in downtown eau claire right now there's four big construction projects underway two housing developments a huge renovation to our library and then a building of a new transportation center
0: i love it um you have just shared right your journey starting um I won't give exact years here, but the 80s, the 80s working in this sector um, at a time when, uh, you know, things were different. You know, technology uh, radically different. Um, And just as we were getting onto this call today or onto the the conversation for the podcast, it is St. Patrick's Day. And you shared that you had just sent out yourself to your portfolio a St. Patrick's Day greeting via thank which warms my heart it warms jen's heart and 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 you know given that jen works with our customers um every single day you know i'm curious you know jen um well what's on your mind both uh given that your dad sort of met your mom in this backdrop that we're talking about here but uh but also that we walked into an amazing thank campaign right before we kicked off Truly,
2: really, yeah i know it really um it's funny when you mentioned when you were stuck in traffic and you're like, we didn't have cell phones, like really how long way we've come. Um, but yeah, how have you really embraced thank you and kind of just like new technology video? Um, did the pandemic
1: also have anything that came into
2: play with that where everyone was like, Oh, we need to switch to video now.
1: Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I will admit I'm not a, I'm not the best tech person in the universe, but I've been really fortunate. I have an amazing staff and um, you know they um, they really understand and embrace the the value of things like connecting through LinkedIn and how you post different how you post news about the university on different platforms and and how you know we we're just we're in the process of um, signing up our annual giving person a texting platform that'll allow us to do more uh, efficient texting than what we've been able to do. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'll date myself. Telefund was when you printed out, um, printed out, you know, on printout little sheets of paper with the person's name and phone number and you called and hand wrote anything that was on there. I mean, that's when I first started. Um, so, you know, the, what I like to say is that, you um, I don't, I know enough um, to know that there's a lot of stuff in front of us that, you know, we have to reach people in different ways. I mean, I'm astounded. My mother in law, who's 91, lives and dies on her iPad and FaceTimes and does all sorts of things. And so, you know, generationally, people embrace this technology because it's a way to connect. And certainly we've learned that through COVID. Um, our team, I, the number of Zoom calls that our team did with, individuals with their donor people and were able to solicit gifts and 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 continue that engagement was really remarkable now they were doing it all with um people they knew um acquisition is was a little bit more challenging but even some acquisition of of people they hadn't met they had done and we just embraced it and so my philosophy on all of this is is you give everybody the tools we provide the tools and then get out of the way um, because they will use those tools in the most effective way possible. And so now, you know, they tell me, okay, we're going to do a thank you video. Um, You got, you can record your video yourself or whatever. I said, no, you got to come do it because I'll never be able to get it done. Right. So, you know, I I think I, I mean, I think about just um, my own experience of connecting with my daughters who are all over the country and, and how we try to connect and how we stay connected and linked together. Um, it just has to apply to everybody. And so I've got great people who know how to do this stuff. And I just say, let's do it. And let's do it more, you know?
2: <laughs> what I love about Thank You is I would say that the surprise and delight element, it's not just a you know, mass marketing email that you open with a ton of text on it. It's a video and it's fun and it never takes itself too seriously. And it's just nice to see that face. Um, and also, so this morning too, you sent out a St. Patty's Day campaign. Can you touch on some of the responses that you got from donors or that you've gotten
1: for past thank yous? Sure. Um, so all morning, my email has been kind of blowing up from the people that I sent things to one after another. I'm so lucky to be, because the theme was, we're the luckiest campus in the world because of you know, um, it's St. Patty's Day luck. And, and then our students talked about why it's lucky, why they're lucky to be at UW-Eau Claire. And so I have people um, emailing me saying, this is great, thank you. Um, I've, I'm lucky because of, and so they've shared their own lucky things. You know, the other thing we do, and it's a great response is, you know, we have a wonderful music department here and I mean, tremendous music program. And so we do happy birthday videos featuring our like we have a 450 person marching band and they were on a tour and they did happy. They they played happy birthday. And so we featured the band playing happy birthday all last year. Um, This year we have a small ensemble group called Impromptu singing happy birthday, um, a male chorus that sang happy birthday. So we we get these different music groups to record happy birthday and then we send them out um, to people and, and we get great response on that. Plus it's a wonderful way to feature um, one of our really signature areas of the campus to be doing this, this happy birthday. So uh, well, we what use love, it.
0: What I love about what you've shared as well is I think sometimes um, folks think about thank you after the gift, right? You know, and, and it's a great stewardship tool for sure. Um, but the way that you all are leveraging it for major gift communications, because my understanding is you sent out a personalized video from you to your whole portfolio, but all of the other frontline staff did as well. And so even thinking about that intersection of major gift portfolio level communications um, and in, and engagement, I feel like as a team, we have not yet... Um, champion that enough where it isn't always embraced where sometimes it can be you know over in the stewardship department but not being leveraged by uh, folks like you who people recognize you know who you know they want to see your face they've gotten to know you over the years and of course getting out and, and seeing them in person is going to be um, I'm sure a big part of 2022 but um, what a nice way to work in some of those uh, those touch points in between.
1: And I'm really proud of the fact that, I mean, our our person who handles this does the data analytics to track the number of opens and responses and everything. And I always trend when I do one that's personal, mine are always the highest open. So and that's because I've been around the longest and people know me. So uh, but I always like it because I I think it's good for younger gift officers to see the the person who's at the head of things um, as engaged and doing the heavy lifting just like they are. I think that leadership by example is really critical. So, yeah.
2: Something so powerful, just putting a face to the name too. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, we've done thank you videos where it's been um, like a donor who has some student scholarship recipients. And so we've done videos of those scholarship recipients uh, and done personalized thank yous to that specific donor who's far away with their scholarship recipients. So. Um, Our folks have been effective at using, we use Thankview a lot. Love the platform. Love it.
0: So what should um, Jen's dad know about UW-Eau Claire -Claire today versus when he attended? Uh, What's the biggest change and what's coming next?
1: Well, the campus would be totally different from when he was here. I don't, he lives in New York state um, and graduated in 80. I hope I don't offend if I'm dating him. No, no. (laughs) Um, You know, so I don't know when he's been back, but um, he would be astounded at both the changes of the university. We like to say we're Wisconsin's most beautiful campus. We sit on the river. We have a river that runs through it, and we've totally redeveloped so much of the campus in terms of you know, really stellar gateway. I mean, just the physical, you know, of the campus and then just some of the really cool things. We have a, we have only the second in the world uh, research partnership with Mayo Clinic. You may have heard of them. Um, And their medical professionals work with our faculty and students in collaborative research. And they've done um, research in all different areas. And just yesterday. So we're working on getting state funding for a new science building. Um, And Mayo is going to be having a lab, a big research area within that building. Um, So collaborate with them in our new event center that we're building down on the river. Mayo is going to be building attached to it, their um, imaging clinic and their sports medicine clinic and so we're very connected and aligned with Mayo which has provided some amazing opportunities and not just in the healthcare and health sciences area but college of business where Jen Stad graduated um we do we've introduced a it's a cohort a executive MBA type of program for medical Mayo med people physicians who are getting an executive MBA um, as part of their, you know, ongoing development. So we're, we're always trying to look for what is the next opportunity looking for working with the college of business to develop potentially a a nonprofit certificate to kind of grow our own, because it's really tough to, you know, find people. And then also looking at how do we pull together some certificate to really focus on the whole ESG landscape as well. So always looking, always trying to figure out what's going to be, um, that that additional value add that's gonna continue to provide great educational experiences for our students.
2: Incredible. Yeah. My um my mom is actually the one who's originally from Wisconsin. Um and so they try to go out there every couple of years. I'm gonna send them over to Eau Claire. I feel like they'll be
1: pumped to see all of that and just kind
2: of revisit all of the land where they met.
1: Jen, I'll um, give you all my contact information and please yeah. tell them if they come out to contact
2: yeah. me. I'm going to have to give you my dad's contact information so you can send up a thank
1: you. I will. Yeah, I will. Cause good. we don't have his email. Oh, I'll give it so, to you. Don't no worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. He'll be, he'll be that. <laughs> just I promise stuff. we won't <laughs> ask, but we'll just say, Hey, you know,
2: <laughs> well, I let him know. He'll be excited. My mom good. will be the more excited one. Cause she's the one who's very like rah, rah. I love Wisconsin. So she'll do yep. it. Yeah. Um, Awesome. What advice do you have for other senior leaders who might be less comfortable embracing new technologies?
1: Well, I think um, two things is always find the people that are really um, on your team that are doing doing it and using it a lot, and trust that they're not gonna, you know, that they're gonna help you be effective. Don't you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be proficient in all of it. You just have to be comfortable. And trust that whatever you're doing is going to turn out okay. Um, and I would say too that you know, think about you. You know, what are, what are you? What is your daily life um, related to with technology? You know, um, I'm sure that every person in higher levels is doing Zoom calls with their kids or grandkids, and you know, texting, and you know, all of those types of things. And if if you're doing it to stay connected with your family and friends, Then think about your constituents as your family and friends and how would you interact with them and um, just be confident that, you know, that this can be an effective tool to use in your um, array of ways that you want to engage with people. And the other thing is we try really hard not to overdo it, you know, Um, and you have to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody loves Zoom, not everybody you know, does love these. And so you try to try to do as much as you can, but also be sensitive to the fact that it's not going to work for everybody. But you just got to keep throwing stuff out there.
2: That's great advice. I love the family and friends analogy. I'm going to start using that because I would say especially, you know, since the pandemic, everybody has been connecting with family and friends virtually. So just kind of using that as the same way for your donors, treating them the same way, definitely is it's a great analogy.
1: So I will tell you, though, that during COVID, um, I wrote tons and tons and tons of cards to people. I would I probably at least four times during the phases of COVID sent personalized note cards to every one of my staff just to say, thank you. You're doing a great job, because I also think that, you know, people how often do you get something personal to you in the mail that has been handwritten? And so while well, I think the new technology is great, I also think that um, it's still a good idea to um, do. My husband and I have a massive collection of really cool. Every time we go anywhere, we get cards, you know, birthday cards, congrats cards, um, thinking of you cards, all of those things. And we're, we, we have the biggest postage bill ever because we're constantly sending out cards too. So I think that's the other thing is don't, don't shelve one. Yeah. tech one opportunity in place of another ad don't replace. I guess
0: well, that's what I would say. And I think what you're, what you're highlighting is um, authenticity really matters. It's gotten so easy to hit send on an email to a million people that um, it makes, I think it, it puts a higher value on the handwritten note. It puts a higher value on the personalized thank you video. Um we've just started a tradition, you know, now that we've brought the companies together, Uh, Jen, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, JD, our president, and I are sending personal thank you videos to our teammates every morning when it's their birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're, you know, at one point, somebody suggested, Hey, should we just make one happy birthday video that you send to everybody? And I said, if we can't spend 30 seconds per teammate on their birthday, then we are doing it wrong. And I think you can take the same approach to your donors. If you've got 100 or 200 or 1000 people in your portfolio, you're going to have a birthday every third day, or, you know, maybe it's two a day. But if we can't send 20 to 30 second, truly personalized videos, it's a missed opportunity. And, uh, you know, doesn't mean we can do that for Every single one of our constituents, um, you know, that's probably not realistic, which is where examples like your your marching band or the ensemble are great. But even if you take something like that and like you did this morning in your St. Patrick's Day campaign, have the core video, but then have the 20 second up front. Hey, it's me, it's Kim and you are Brent. And I just wanted to say we appreciate you. That stands out in a world of automation. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. I've seen that um, same birthday model taken uh, with don't, like with clients and doing the same thing for their donors, where it's a compilation of a bunch of people on campus wishing their high-level donors a happy birthday. And it really is such a good impact because people took the time out of their day to say something to you and not that like copy and paste, um, happy birthday.
0: Really well said, Jen. Kim, we're uh, coming up on time here and I have to give you, oops, Sorry, I think I, uh, Kim. We are coming up on time here, and I want to give you an opportunity uh, to, one, give your team a shout out. Two, are you hiring? Uh, and three, how can our uh, listeners get in touch with you?
1: Um, what was the first question? I forgot. That...
0: Team. Yeah. Know,
1: team shout out. Yeah. So I, I can't speak enough about my team. We have a. We have a a tradition. um, There's this starfish story about you know um, putting starfish back in the ocean that have warmed, uh, washed up on the beach because, and you make a difference. And so we have this actual starfish. It's a dried out one, of course, um, that um, we pass present. So if I get it, then I select the recipient next month, and it's who's made the difference, who's really made a difference, and people put a ton of thought into this and it gets kind of emotional. I mean, I've gotten it a couple of times and I get, I get emotional that my colleagues think that, Hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm making a difference. And, and so they're, you know, they really are work. So collaboratively, our HR department told us that best office on campus in terms of high degrees of satisfaction and, and all of those. So I can't say enough about my team and, one of the things that I always stress to them is family first. And, you know, I, we have tons of flexibility because every one of them has lives outside of the office. And it's really critical that they know that I'm supportive of them and that I care about them as human beings. And, and they're all dog lovers too, which is okay. But, <laughs> but it, it's, just a, it's just a great team. And so, of course, we're always hiring. I just hired somebody last week. And that came about because a couple of our team members said, this is an alum who I think we should think be thinking about, and we said, "Fine, let's bring her in. We love her. We're figuring out how to what she's going to be doing." And so, um, always looking because the other value that I have is I don't think we spend enough um, trying to retain our staff, and I think more critical than ever is what are you doing to make sure that your performers are, you know, welcome, um, appreciated, valued, compensated. And that they know that they have a path in your organization that will satisfy them professionally as well as personally. And I think that's really critical. So if anybody's interested in coming to the coolest operation in the world, um, they can email me. It's probably the quickest way. is W-A-Y-K-K at U-W-E-C dot E-D-U. Or they can go on U-W-E-C dot E-D-U and type me in and you'll have all my contact information. You can also text me, email me. But. Um, we will always find a place for somebody who wants to be here and who, who is committed to the values that we have as an entity, um, to make a difference. Cause that's all we're trying to do is make a difference.
0: I love that Kim. And, um, the starfish is a great idea and, you know, recognition, um, it matters and, uh, you know, intrinsic motivation has been proven to, to matter a lot more than, you know, some of the extrinsic stuff that oftentimes gets, gets more of the focus. So um, it's, and it sounds like, look, your approach to flexibility. um, I know a lot of our listeners have expressed concerns that, that their um, institution isn't uh, necessarily embracing flexibility coming out of the pandemic here. And that can mean different things to different shops, but uh, it's good to hear you in a leadership role championing that and uh, really, um, you know, family first um, spot on. And we just, had a similar, you know, conversation here at Evertrue um, as we've come through this merger. of Just, you know, really focusing on happiness and well-being first and foremost. Because if we're not happy, if we're not feeling good um, personally, you know, how are we going to excel professionally? And um, sounds like we're we're aligned in in some of our views there. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah.
1: If I could really tiny quick story. Mm-hmm. So we were visiting our daughter in Jacksonville and on the beach, and somebody had left a a plastic toy. It was a starfish plastic toy. And so I've decided I'm going to introduce another prize. It's the plastic starfish for the for the most fun, crazy um, team building thing that people are doing that are really making bringing joy to the office. And so we get the real starfish and we get then the wacky starfish. And I think equally they will be as appreciated and valued. So you always have to have joy.
0: Here's to more joy. Jen, you on board with that?
1: Yeah, that is the best sign-off I could imagine.
0: (laughs) All right. Here's to uh, spreading joy, both uh, in person and digitally, everywhere we go. Uh, Thank you, Kim Way. We really appreciate it. Best wishes as you continue to lead the charge at UW-Eau Claire. Brent Grinna here signing off in Rhode Island with my guest host, Jen Zatcher. Welcome. Take care, everybody.